Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Uh, Today, I also want to say welcome to our Avon campus. I got to hang out with Avon last week, and it was so fun. Uh, For those of you who live down there, if you ever want to stop in down there, this building continues to be at capacity, which is awesome. Uh, But we've got room at Avon. We've got an amazing group of people down there starting the work of God there to reach more people in Avon. Also, as you come in here on Sunday mornings when this room is full, if you can't find a seat, we do have another room called the chapel, seats a few hundred. And I've heard that starting next week in the chapel, they're going to have donuts at all the services. So probably next week, I'll just be preaching to a camera. But uh, (laughs) hey, speaking of things we love, I love cars and I love coffee. And this Saturday... We're hosting Cars and Coffee for Indianapolis. The nationwide Cars and Coffee nonprofit is partnering with us. So if you like cars, if you like coffee, come and hang out with us. I'll be there, and I know there's going to be a lot of really cool cars there. So invite any car people you know to join us. Well, today is a special day because it's the day that we honor our moms. And so, uh, moms, I know that you, some of you don't like a, a lot of attention, but we're going to ask you to stand up, whether you're a biological mom, adoptive mom, foster mom, fill-in mom. I had some of those in high school. Uh, or maybe you're a spiritual mom. You're a woman of God, and you're discipling others spiritually. If you are a mom in any of those ways, would you stand? We just want to honor you and say thank you for all that you do. <laughs> Thank you, moms. We love you. We would not be here without you. And I thought we'd kick off today with some mom memes that have been posted by mothers. Here's the first one. Parenting is begging your child to get into the bath because they don't want to, only to then beg them to get back out of the bath because they're having too much fun. This mom tweeted, she said, next time you're tempted to ask a mom where her baby's socks are, consider that she might be wondering the same thing. (laughs) This mom tweeted, Me, I have something fun for us to do, kids. Response from the kids, Yeah, okay, but hear us out. We plan on making it not fun for all of us. (laughs) I think we've all been there as parents. This one's great if you've got a uh, teenager or a preteen. Please keep my preteen in your thoughts today as she was asked to make her bed. And now, tragically, she just, like, can't even. (laughs) Moms of teens, here's another good one for you. I'm not sure if you can pull that off. Is just one of the sweet things that my teen says when I dress up. (laughs) Okay, final mom meme to kick us off for today. My son saw me putting on concealer under my eyes and said, why are you doing that? I said, it makes me look a bit younger and more awake. He said, but inside you're old and tired? (laughs) And I said, yep. And he said, tricky, with (laughs) admiration. (laughs) 
Well, moms, we love you. We wouldn't be here without you. Also, we wouldn't have survived life without you. Uh, you know, life is one of the most common words in the Bible. God starts the book of Genesis by giving life. He forms the first human, and it's like a, a sandcastle. It's dust. Then he breathes into the first human the breath of life. All throughout the Bible, breath and life are connected. And breath is one of those kind of strange things. You don't think about it. You don't think that you're breathing while you're sleeping. Most days you don't really think about breath. But without breath, we wouldn't have life. So I want to do a little exercise here. We're going to hold our breath to give us an appreciation for our life. And I do have to give a medical disclaimer here. If you have asthma, if you've recently had a heart transplant, if for any reason you shouldn't hold your breath, please don't, okay? Swim at your own risk. But if you want to join me, this is going to be the hardest for me because I get out of breath when I get talking fast. Anyway, we're going to try to hold our breath for 30 seconds. You guys ready? Take a big inhale and I'm going to count us down, okay? you guys make it? I did not fully make it. I had to cheat and breathe out of my nose a little bit at the beginning there. Did not fully make it. This was a bad idea. Now think about this. That is 30 seconds without breath. Did you know that for the first 23 million seconds of your life, someone else was breathing for you? When you were in your biological mom's womb, her lungs were breathing, her heart was beating, and the oxygen that your body needs to survive and live was flowing through your umbilical cord because your mom was breathing for you for those first 23 million seconds. Thank you, moms, for breathing for us. You know what you looked like around that time? Here's what you looked like when you were just 10 weeks old. This is you at 10 weeks, and look at you. Look how spiritual you are. You're already praying at 10 weeks old. I'm impressed. Little bit of your life journey. 22 days after conception, your little heart began beating. At week four in your mother's womb, your mouth, your lower jaw, and your throat started to take shape. This is all according to the experts at the Cleveland Clinic. Your ears, your fingers, your toes, and your eyes all started to emerge around week five. Your brain, your spinal cord, your entire central nervous system starts taking shape around week six. At just nine weeks old, your little hands could grasp, your little mouth began opening and closing, your little fingernails started emerging. They grow up so fast, here you are at 25 weeks, getting bigger. Look at your little fingers and toes. Look how cute you are, your little nose. You know, none of us are perfect and no mom is perfect, but what a beautiful gift that moms breathe for us, that moms give life. It's really an expression of the heart and the character of God. Moms give life, then moms nourish life, 
and good moms protect life. You know, really, it's a miracle whenever you see a little crawler or an early walker or a toddler, it's kind of a miracle that any of us survive. Because there's this phase where it's like electrical outlet. Let me see what I can stick into that. I didn't know this was a phase until we had our firstborn, and I had no idea, they didn't prepare us, that when you have kids, you really need to budget for like a, a whole baby-proofing um, scenario in your house. You've got to get the plastic covers for the electrical outlets because no matter how many times you pull the baby away, some of them are just drawn to it and they're just going to keep sticking stuff in there. It's like, oh, poison ant trap? Yummy. <laughs> Anything I can put in my mouth? Yes, please. It's kind of a miracle that any of us live. I, I remember after we got all the electric outlet covers for our kids, our babies, then we had to get this thing for the kitchen sink because there are dangerous chemicals under there. And we put this giant plastic lock on the kitchen sink. And we never got the stuff back out of there until the kids were about six or seven. We finally had to take bolt cutters. That thing was like the babies weren't getting in there, but no one else was getting in there either. It's amazing any of us survive. I'm one of four boys. And uh, by the way, my mom, poor mom, you know, mom with four boys, like if that's you, my heart goes out to you. I get how hard your life is right now. My mom had three boys and when she was pregnant with me, she was just so optimistic and convinced that I'd be a girl. She even had a name for me. I'm supposed to be Ruth. <laughs> Disappointed my parents from the very beginning. But, <laughs> but with four boys, I remember the hospital emergency room near where we lived in Michigan. This was before electronic medical records. So you had paper files and the Dickerson family was on the quick draw, the quick draw file folder. There was when you went in with a broken finger or needing stitches, there was all the folders in the back and then they had their like frequent flyer customers where they could just pull it out. And they're like, Dickerson, yep, right here. Which one is it? Something I've noticed about the best of moms is that they work so hard and often they feel like it's not enough. And part of this, I think, is that as the kids get older, they start to have needs that the mom cannot meet. When the child is in diapers and their primary needs are feeding and diaper changes and naps, the mom can meet most of the needs or all of the needs of the child. But as the child gets older, starts to have social needs and emotional needs and relational needs that the mom alone or the dad alone cannot fill. I think this is a universal tension, whether you're here as a parent or maybe you're just here as someone who uh, you care about others and you're trying to help them along in life, you will reach this place when your child or your loved one has a need that you can't meet. I remember experiencing this as my kids were getting older and having to drop them off for school. I remember the first overnight camp that I left my elementary age daughter at and just feeling like, I know I sound really pathetic as a parent, but like, is she going to make it? Like, is she going to live? Is she going to be okay? And it was a Camp Allendale that we use here as a church. It's a Christian camp that we go to. And you guys, it was the coolest thing because I was so nervous. My wife was. And it turned out the two camp counselors in Zoe's room were high school girls who grew up here. They grew up going to that camp. And as junior and senior in high school, they wanted to spend a week of their summer being spiritual leaders 
to these six or seven-year-olds that it was at the time. I remember as my wife and I were driving away, because we had taken in the sleeping bag and the little suitcase, and think of, you know, she's going to have these needs, and we're not going to be there. And as a forward-thinking person, I just had this flash forward in my mind of like, oh my goodness, this is what it's going to be like in 10 years or so when we drop her off at college. And she's going to be around people. We're not going to be there. She's going to have needs that we're not going to be able to meet. Do you know that feeling when you care about others? You often wonder as a provider, as a caregiver, am I doing enough? I hear a lot of moms say, am I good enough mom? I hear engaged dads say, am I good enough dad? Am I good enough at nurturing? Am I guiding them in the right ways? Maybe, you know, we fear at times, do my mistakes outweigh the, all the hard work I'm doing? I mean, the times I lose my temper, the times I'm, I fall short, is that all they're going to remember about their childhood? We all have this ideal that we want for our kids, our loved ones. We want to be the ideal parent. We want to give the ideal environment. And enough life goes by and we start to realize, I, I can't always do that, even if I want to. I'm sometimes inadequate. What can you do when you want the best for your loved one? Maybe you've got a college student, you want the best for them, but you can't be there holding their hand with every decision they make. Or you've got a, a little one, or maybe you're here and uh, you're at that stage of life where now you're caring for your parents and you want the best for them, but there's things they don't understand or there's decisions. What can you do when you want the best for your loved one, but you just feel inadequate? You feel unable to provide what they need. In fact, right now, I want to invite you, identify such a need in your life. Who's the relationship or the person you want the best for them? If you could, you know, make the decision for them to not go to the parties, or if you could make the decision for them, you would, but they have to stand on their own two feet. Who's the person? What's the need? And right now, from your heart, would you just call out to God and say, God, I want to learn from you about this. I want your help with this. God gives us a really a really powerful answer to this universal question in the book of Exodus. It's a true story of a time when God's chosen people were actually living as slaves. They had been subjugated by the Egyptian people, and the Egyptians were forcing them. This is all documented through history, even outside of the Bible, that if you look at the ancient Egyptian infrastructure, the pyramids and the sphinxes, it was built by slave labor. And there was a long season where it was God's chosen people, the Hebrew people, who were those slaves. And they're out there in the sun with whips on their back, building bricks out of mud and straw. And Pharaoh sees that the, the Israelites, God's people, are starting to become quite a big group of people. And he fears that there could be a coup. They could overthrow him and his soldiers. And so, verse 15, Pharaoh, this evil king of Egypt, gives the order... To the Hebrew midwives, those are the birth nurses. And he says this, when you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they're delivering. And if the baby's a boy, I'm commanding you as the government, kill that child if it's a boy. But if it's a girl, let her live. This is an evil order. But by the way, this was very common in world history. It might seem unthinkable to us today, but this was common Whenever a nation wanted to subjugate another nation, they would kill the babies. Any nation that kills its own babies is a nation that will not be around for long because of basic biology. Exodus 1.17, but because the midwives feared God, 
they refused to obey these government orders. They allow the baby boys to live instead. So the king of Egypt calls for the midwives. Essentially, probably a couple years pass. They're supposed to be killing the baby boys. Pharaoh assumes they're killing the baby boys. And then a couple years later, he's out on a chariot ride or whatever, and he sees a little bunch of two-year-old Hebrew boys running around. He thinks, how are these guys here? What's going on? So he calls them back in. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? I love this answer. The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, Pharaoh. This is what the midwives say. I mean, we know you don't want to be there. It's a pretty messy scene, but take our word for it. The Hebrew women, it's different than the Egyptian women. They're, they're more vigorous, and they have the babies so quickly that by the time we get there, you know, the boy's already up on the mom's chest. It's too late for us to follow your orders, and you know, this is just the way it is. <laughs> By the way, if you ever have, are faced with the moral conundrum, is it okay to lie to an evil person to save someone's life? I think you got the answer here, because look at verse 20. So God was good to the midwives. That was a good lie. They pulled the wool over Pharaoh's eyes for a while. The Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And look at this, because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Fearing God doesn't mean you wake up every day and you're like, I'm afraid of God. Fearing God means my standard for right and wrong in the universe comes from the belief that there is a creator who's over everything. And if the government says that murder's okay, I still believe that murder's wrong. If CNN or Fox News says it's okay, I still believe that murder's wrong because God says so. And if um, the favorite people I follow on Instagram and on TikTok say that murder's okay, I still believe it's wrong because I'm not basing my beliefs on the people around me who will die someday. I'm basing my beliefs on the creator of the universe. Also, I'm not basing my beliefs on how I feel about it. There have been plenty of terrible people in history who felt great about what they were doing. But there's a higher standard. And what's beautiful is these midwives... They feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. Well, Pharaoh, now seeing they're clearly not obeying my orders, gives the order, verse 22, to all the people. You know, attempt one, I'm just going to work through the birth nurses because I kind of want to keep my public image. Attempt two, Pharaoh, he lets go of any, um, you know, any pretense that he's a good guy. And he just gives the order. This is my order. Everyone, soldiers, Egyptians, Hebrews, I don't care who you are, all the baby boys are to be thrown into the Nile River, but because I'm a nice guy, I will let the girls live. About this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. And She saw that he was a special baby. I love that sentence, because isn't that true of every single mom who's ever given birth to a baby? You hold that baby, and it's a special baby baby. And so what does she do? She hides him. She gets creative. Soldiers are coming by inspecting the homes with orders from Pharaoh to terminate any of these baby boys who somehow slip through. And I imagine that she's hiding him under baskets, hiding him in different ways. And you, you know how this would work, that as soon as those Egyptian soldiers start to enter the village, they've got lookouts. 
And there's little kids running around giving the heads up to all the moms. And all the moms are hiding their babies in the most creative way. And she does this, but she probably has some really close calls. And she gets to the place where she realizes, I can't do, there's no way to do this for 18 years. My child has a need to live, and I can't provide that need. Are you connecting the dots here to your scenario? The person you love has a need. You can't provide it. So what does she do? She does her best. She does her best with what she has. When she could no longer hide him, she goes and she buys a basket made of papyrus reeds. And then I love this scene of the story. Because to me, part of the beauty of a mom is their fingers in their hands. Because a mom in any given day, from changing diapers to making lunches to writing notes, a mom's fingers do thousands of things to care for their kids in a day. And this mom uses her fingers in her hands to start waterproofing this basket. I just love that scene. She puts her baby boy in this basket and she lays it among the reeds along the banks of the Nile River. So notice this, she doesn't just like, see you later. That's not what's going on. The reeds are, are gonna keep the basket from blowing around. This is a hiding place. She can no longer hide the baby in her home, so she's going to hide it the last place that the soldiers would look in the river. And this little boy's in there, and look at this, mom's orders, verse 4. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching. So you can picture this mom explaining to her daughter, we have no other choice. This is I can't stand by the river and keep guard of the basket. It'll look really suspicious. But honey, I want you to just kind of play around the riverbanks. Just look like a normal little girl playing along the edge of the river. But I want you to keep an eye on your baby brother. Because one, it's safe to bring him home. I'm going to come to you and we're going to take him back home. Well, about the worst imaginable thing happens, verse 5, soon, Pharaoh's daughter. The same Pharaoh who's declared that all the baby boys have to be killed. His daughter comes to bathe at the river. And can you imagine being this older sister? She's probably elementary-aged girl. She's following mom's orders. I'm playing along the riverbanks. I'm keeping an eye on my brother. And here comes this whole entourage of Egyptians. You could tell by the way they dressed and their badges and everything. Like, this is a royal entourage. And she's listening, and she hears this is the Pharaoh's own daughter. I just want you to pause in this moment when the princess sees the basket among the reeds and asks her attendants, hey, go get that. Can you imagine the emotion in this sister's heart? Like, oh my goodness, this is it. They're going to open the basket, they're going to see him, and they're going to kill him. There will be moments as a parent when your child is making decisions that are dangerous, when they're in environments that you can't control, that you're going to have that same feeling of panic. And you're going to think, it, just, it can't get worse than this. This is, this is it can't get worse well look how god shows up verse six when the princess opened it from evil dad evil lineage she sees the baby he's crying and she has compassion on him the person who's least expected and she says this must be one of these hebrew children then the baby's sister approached the princess i love this sister can you imagine the courage this took as a little girl, she goes up to this princess and says, 
should I go find one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? You see, they didn't have baby formula, and the princess knows if I want to help this baby, it needs a nurse. Yes, do, the princess replies. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Moms, how would you like to get paid to take care of your own kid? I mean, being a mom is like the one job in the world where you can never take a sick day. You never have paid time off. You also don't get paid time on. You just have to do it. I love how God shows up. Not only does he save the child's life, now his mom gets paid to take care of him. Now, this doesn't mean that the rest of life is roses and rainbows. Look at the next verse. Later, when the boy was older, his mom brings him back to Pharaoh's daughter. Now, we know that in ancient cultures at this time, children would nurse much longer than they do today. And so Moses, most likely, not only did his mom, who thought her son was going to die, did she get to hold him and nurse him and sing to him? And when the guards would come by, the guards knew, oh, Pharaoh's daughter, that baby's okay. She has permission to do that. But then as this baby gets older, she gets to hold his hands and teach him to walk. She gets to sing to him. She gets to tell him stories that he's one of God's chosen people. Stories that will shape his identity about his big God who shows up to rescue. About his lineage and the covenants and the promises that God has made. Eventually the day comes that this little boy's old enough. She can't hold out any longer. And she takes him to Pharaoh's daughter who adopts him and names him Moses. Which means I lifted him out of the water. Now let's return to our original question. What can you do when you love someone? a child or someone you're investing in and they have a need that you just can't meet no matter how hard you try. It's beyond your capability. Moses' mom teaches us this. God fills the gaps for the God-seeking mom. God fills the gaps for the God-seeking person. God fills the gaps for the God-seeking grandparent. God fills the gaps for the God-seeking pastor. I mean, I, I know this. As you start to disciple others, you start using your gift here and you learn how to help someone else along spiritually, you're going to have times where you think, oh, I wish I could be there. I wish I could make that decision for them. God will fill the gaps as you do your best. Do your best as unto God, like Moses' mom did. Keep believing that he's a big God. He will fill the gaps. It's not always immediate, it's not without fear, but he will fill those gaps. When I was in high school, I had a buddy named Donnie, and uh, Donnie had a single mom. And I remember it well because we had a little friend group, and the rest of us guys in the friend group, our moms and dads were still together. Donnie uh, was the only one with a single mom, and I remember when we'd go over to his house just realizing, even as a teenager, how much kind of extra work she had as a single mom. There were fatherhood gaps that she knew she couldn't fill. But you know what was unique? Even as a high school kid, I knew Donnie's mom was a devout Christian. She'd pray with him every day. She'd make him go to youth group every week. 
She did everything she could in the church she was a part of to get him around godly guys, knowing none of them can be his dad, but maybe they can fill some of the gap. Donnie today, he's a couple years older than me. He's happily married. He's got healthy kids, and he's an amazing man of God, man of character. He's great at what he does. What happened there? God filled the gaps for a God-seeking mom. And God will do the same for you, whether the gap is the gap of a spouse or the, the gap of, of financial, like I don't know how I could ever send these kids to college or e- even keep them fed right now. Keep seeking God. Keep bringing them to God's house. He will use his people and his power to fill the gaps. This is something that we experience not only with our own kids. I have to remind myself of this promise with my three. All our kids, if we're engaged, as they start making their own choices There come these moments of awareness of God, unless you capture their heart, unless you fill the gaps, and it's the same every night when I go to bed, I pray over our our whole church. We've got about 2,000 birth to college age kids in this church movement, and they're growing up in a culture where up is down and left is right when it comes to morality and beliefs. And the reality is that apart from a miraculous intervention in their hearts, the noise that they're getting about really just deception and lies about who they are, morality and sexuality, etc., I mean, it's no accident. Suicide is on the rise. Self-harm is on the rise. All these things are happening because of the, the noise. There's no clarity about what's right or wrong, and we're raising our kids in this generation. One of our Core visions as a church is to raise the strongest generation for God. And I go to bed every night praying for your family and your kids and all of our collective kids knowing that there are gaps that only God can fill. We're investing millions of dollars. Uh, We actually just this week were giving out two job offers within our Youth Worldview Initiative, which is something we've been doing for about three years now where we offer even deeper training for our young people about can you trust the Bible? Where did the Bible come from? You know, did Jesus really live? Letting our young people talk here in this environment to figure out what they believe about the moral issues of the day and having trustworthy guides who can understand them and relate to them. And we as a church are doing more than any other church I know of, and yet every night I go to sleep with an awareness, God, unless you fill the gaps... Unless you fill the gaps, our kids are growing up in a world that's so upside down. You know, if you're engaged as a parent or as a disciple maker, you will see needs in your child that you can't meet. And when you see those needs, don't be discouraged. It doesn't mean you're inadequate. It simply means you're paying attention. Keep doing your best. Keep looking to God to fill the gaps. Keep following his word. You guys, I'm telling you, we're building more and more programs here for your birth all the way up through college. But if you don't bring them here, they're not going to benefit from them. Keep doing what you can do and then release to God what you can't do. God is the one who gives life. And there are certain forms of life giving that only he can do in the heart's of our kiddos. Keep pointing them to him. Keep praying for them. Keep leading them to him. Show your priority of God in your calendar and then model. This is what it looks like that my identity is found in God, not in my feelings. Talk to them about how you 
have experienced that. Model finding your security in God, your significance in God, your provision in God. He will fill the gaps. Well, I want to show you a little bit of what this looks like today. We saw what it looked like thousands of years ago with Moses' mom. Check out what it looks like today. always knew I was going to be a mama. I have always wanted to be a mom. I can't remember a time that I didn't. But wow, it was a blessing because it completely changed my mindset. I had never changed a diaper in my life until I had my son. Um, but then my daughter came along and changed my whole world. I want them to know that you are a priority in my life. Mama loves you, you're my blessing. I get you for, uh, you know, 18 years before maybe you have to leave me and I'm already crying, so. <laughs> I have this wildly independent, vivacious young girl who is completely my polar opposite. So trying to figure out how to raise this human when we are so different has been a challenge just letting them know that it's okay to be human and you're never gonna be perfect. Just shoot for your best and learn from your mistake. And I'm still learning that myself, so that's the biggest challenge where I'm at right now. But ultimately, I think what keeps me up at night would be just, am I doing a good enough job that my kids are gonna be like good Christians, good people? To be bold in their faith, how, how do you think your, your kids are describing? Oh, this is, you sneaky people, you. Uh, she, she, not good. I'm annoying. I probably nag her too much about her room being clean. Um, she's a middle schooler. This is tough. I think they would rate me as I'm doing a pretty good job. Unless, you know, I took the tablet away and then that, at that moment, they're not very happy. I want to say my kids would rate me higher than I would rate myself because I see my, uh, my internal heart more than they see how I portray that. And so let's say maybe they would rate me as a nine and I would say more like a seven. <laughs> some days I don't do very well and some days I feel like I do better. And a lot of times I'm praying at the end of the day that God would erase from their memories the mistakes that I made. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so we want to show you a little video. What did they say? Um, I like how she's like really caring and she all, she always like cares about me because sometimes I get a little over dramatic and she just stays calm and like all my friends they say like she's like the sweetest mom ever. When she can, she'll be pick me up from uh, school early and just you know, just, she'll just spend the rest of the day with me. Hi, Mom, I love you so much. Thank you for everything that you do, and thank you for protecting me and making time for me all the time. And you've just done a lot with our family and just a lot. So, thank you. I love playing games with so. Um, he gives me a light so, so I can sleep. Okay. What does she do to show you, show you that she loves you? Uh... She gives us kisses at nighttime. <laughs> Sometimes in public, like yesterday, she uh, she was dancing in the store, and my sister actually didn't want to dance, but I decided to dance with her because I just wanted to have some fun with her. 
because it was embarrassing to like, like everybody, no one was in the aisles that we were, but it was embarrassing to hear her like scream and go, come on, Wally, dance with me. And it was so funny. Um, she's really good at art. And she's funny and fun to play with. When we get her, she was like, oh, I can get you a Band-Aid and or um, we can wash the cut off or anything. Sometimes pray, prays with us. She sometimes does that when our dad is gone and he can't pray. Thank you for always being there for me and that you're a really amazing person and I really appreciate you. Oh, she turned out okay, didn't she? <laughs> she always provides for the family. She's always been there for me. Like when I was a baby, after my parents broke up, um, we were moving from apartment to apartment and it was hard because I was a little baby and she was still trying to provide for the family. I would thank her for all she's done for taking care of me, like for my whole life, my 10 years of living, and that I was really blessed to be part of her family instead of a different one, to be blessed with her. I wouldn't want any other mom. I don't want that to be rude, but I would love her as my mom, and I'm glad she is my mom. Well, if the goal was to make me cry. <laughs> it's great, because you can think you're doing a good job, but it's always nice to hear it from their perspective, and like Lennox liking, you know, dancing with me in the middle of the store, even though Noelle's embarrassed, but I know inside she really doesn't mind, but it's nice to hear it from their perspective, the things that they notice that means, you know, that they perceive as showing love and showing affection and caring for them. It's nice to, you know, like I'm looking at them like, oh my gosh, they're so big. They're, they're getting so big and, and really what they're noticing. They're amazing. One of the things that I think this church does that's amazing and I, took this tidbit was that the jar of marbles where you take a marble out every week and I have that jar of marbles sitting on my desk. So that visual is a constant scary reminder that the time that we have with, with our children is so short. They're, they're God's children so I, I'm just blessed and fortunate just to be their mom and it's the best thing in the world and I think about that a lot, you know. I'm just grateful for that and I, I want to pass it on to my kids. Thank you, moms. We love you. And uh, man, what a picture of moms doing their best, feeling like we all feel when we care about someone, like there are ways I fall short, but look how God fills the gaps. He is filling the gaps. And he filled the gaps for Moses' mom. Look at Exodus 2.11. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, if you know your world history, you know how this story continues. God's going to use this baby who would have died if his mom hadn't done what she could with what she had. God's going to use this little boy to lead a movement, to lead a nation from slavery to the promised land, to show God's faithfulness, to literally alter the course of world history 
And as a church, that's part of our vision for our kids is that someday if Christ hasn't returned and we're in heaven, that they'll be on these stages and they'll be telling others about Jesus. Our vision here is not a five-year vision or even a 30-year vision. It's a generational vision. You see, with God, time, we live in time. And so when things aren't going right, we feel like we're failing. But God's not limited by time. And he's not limited by pain. I mean, think about Moses' mom. There was still pain. There was that day she had to take her little boy that she did get to nurse miraculously. And she got to sing to him and tell him about his God. But there was the day that she had to take him by the hand to Pharaoh's daughter. We don't know how much he ever saw his mom again after that. There will be pain. There will be moments where it doesn't look like it's going to work. Why can you trust that God's going to fill the gaps for the God-seeking person? How can you trust that, especially if you're in a situation right now where it just looks impossible? Maybe you're here and you've lost a child, or maybe you made a decision years ago and that child's not around because of a decision you made, and you're thinking, John, what do I do with any of this other than feel terrible? You can know that it's God's unchanging nature to give life, but also to restore life. God's heart gives life, it protects life, it nourishes life, and our moms, good moms, model those three attributes of God. But this fourth thing on this list It's something that only God can do. That when a relationship is estranged and no human could heal it, God can restore it. And what Jesus proved on the cross, we celebrated it at Easter. It's why the cross is the center of what we believe and why Jesus is the center of the human calendar, if you go back to year zero, is that the cross and the resurrection from the dead is God's proof that where Satan came into this world to kill and steal and destroy, God came back into this world in the person of Jesus to defeat death. And for all who trust in Jesus, there will be a day when there is no more death. He restores life. If you lost a child in the womb, that child isn't dead. That child has an eternal soul. And as a follower of Jesus, there will be a day and a place where you're reunited with that child. Very quickly, I just want to show you in the Life Application Study Bible. If you don't have one of these, we'll give you one. They're about 30 bucks each, but we give them away. We give tens of thousands of dollars of these away every year because we want you to have a Bible that you can read and understand. And one of the things I love about this layout of the Bible is you can look up any topic in the back, taxes, abortion, sexuality, anything, and you can see what God says about it for yourself. We don't have to spoon feed you. You can read it for yourself. What I've highlighted here are just verses about life. And that's not even all of them. But that's a lot more verses than you get on most topics because life is really the theme of Scripture. In Genesis 2, it starts with God breathing life. Genesis 9, God says, here's why murder is wrong. Because God made human beings in his own image. And so when one human takes the life of another, it's not like they killed a horse or a dog or a monkey or a highly developed monkey. Every human carries the image of God. And God says, it's an attack on my nature when one person takes another person's life. So murder isn't wrong because we all voted and made it wrong or feel like it's wrong. It's wrong because God says it's wrong. Jesus, when he left heaven and came to earth as a human, described himself this way. I'm here so that anyone who believes in me can have eternal life. 
And then he describes himself and says, I'm the bread of life. Acts 17, God says that he himself gives life and breath to everything. By the way, he satisfies every need that you have. In Jesus, God can restore life, even where you cannot. Maybe you're here on this Mother's Day, or maybe you're watching online, and your mom isn't here anymore. God raises the dead. I want to encourage you today, he restores life. Mel and I, we had two miscarriages in our family. We've got two other kids that we haven't met that we're going to meet when we get to heaven because God restores life. The very end of the Bible, the word life is used about a dozen times in the closing scene. Let me take you into the closing scene of the Bible, which is in our future. This is future reality. This will happen. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. Every person will be raised from the dead. Vladimir Putin, Adolf Hitler, everyone will be raised from the dead and will stand before God one at a time and give an account for what they did with their life. Those who humbly acknowledge God, I'm not good enough to be on your team in my own strength. I've I've fallen short, but Jesus, I believe in you. I receive you. Everyone who's received the free gift of salvation through Jesus, our names are recorded in what God calls the book of life. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the lamb, that's Jesus. What you're seeing here is the restoration of the Garden of Eden. What God initially created you and me and Adam and Eve for, to live eternally, to never be hungry. A world where there are no locks on the doors, there are no jails, no courts, there's no hospitals, there's no war, there's no rape, there's no genocide, there's no injustice because there's no evil and there's no sin. And where all of our lungs will eventually breathe a final breath for those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life will go into this place where there will be eternal life this river of life flows down the center of the main street and on each side of the river grows a tree of life its fruit gives immortality and healing and so this is one of the final verses of the Bible I love this, this is true today the spirit of God and the bride, that is the church All of us together were the bride of Christ. Say, come to Jesus. Let anyone who hears this come to Jesus. Let anyone who's thirsty, you've got unmet needs, you've got unmet desires, you long for immortality, you long for freedom from shame, come to Jesus. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. See, this is the heart of your creator. He wants to give you life He has given you life. You haven't thought about it, but every time your lungs have inhaled and exhaled, after those nine months where your mom breathed for you, your creator's been providing oxygen while you're sleeping, while you're sinning, while you're running from him. And his heart for you is that you'd experience the water of life, the breath of life, the light of life, not just here in this broken world where there will be trouble, but that you'd know Jesus in such a way that you then know eternal life. And for a thousand lifetimes, you get to be with the people you love 
in this place that God describes, and then for a thousand lifetimes more. God fills the gaps for the God-seeking people. God restores. But you do have to choose, will you seek him? Will you call out to him? In fact, if you'd stand together, I just want to pray that for you today. Father, in this place, you have already blessed us with life. We didn't earn the breath in our lungs. We don't pay for the lifeblood coursing through our bodies right now. You've given us the gift of life. And Jesus, when you died and rose again, you paid the price to give us the gift of eternal life. God, I pray for every person in this moment, you're stirring in hearts. There's some who are believing in you for the first time. I pray right now that they would just call out with humility, Jesus, you're God. Jesus, I believe you died and rose again. Jesus, forgive my sins. Be my Savior. God, for the moms here, for every caregiver, would you strengthen our faith that as we keep doing our best unto you, you will fill the gaps. Sometimes we see it in a few months. Sometimes we see it in a few decades. You'll fill the gaps because you're a God who blesses. So bless us. As we surrender to Jesus and walk with him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that. And you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us. And please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.